What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Instagram at TalkLouder underscore podcast. And of course, our website, TalkLouderPodcast.com. I'm Metal Dave, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And today we've got a barn burner for you, folks. We've got Ryder Size and Blaine Cartwright from Nashville Pussy. And... Uh, <laughs> As you can imagine, it was highly entertaining talking to these two great people, very prolific. Uh, they've got a lot going on. We got to as much of it as we can, and I think we covered a lot of ground. They've got a brand new album out called Eaten Alive. It's a double live album, finally capturing Nashville Pussy and all their live onstage glory. Uh, they're featured prominently in the new Peacemaker series featuring John Cena. Um they have Blaine has an album by his other band, Nine Pound Hammer. The two of them have an album out by the, under the title of Miss Georgia Peach. It's a country record. Yeah. So they're they're writing, you know, they're writing tunes for, that mom will like. Yeah. <laughs> they're and, trying to redeem themselves after all these years. Um, and of course, they uh, uh, contributed to the heirs of the dog nazareth tribute album that my co-host jason is on as well we talk a little bit about that and uh we also got to ask them about their must-have items on their backstage rider and you're going to be surprised when you hear or topic. not at all <laughs> i mean i know i was surprised uh, well, it was not what know, I was expecting, and I'm betting it's not what y'all were expecting. Well, the common know. the common things are just you know a, a a lineup of soft drinks, and you know of course in rock and roll there's usually a, a some Jack Daniels and and some kind of food item, but that's pretty much what they cover. <laughs> I, I would I maybe understand a little bit why and how you would be surprised, but I wasn't really that surprised. It's actually things that I that I wouldn't have on there, but I've, I've seen some other bands writers before. So some, you know, there's stories of people's backstage writers before though, the Van Halen Brown M&M. A lot of people don't realize that that story about Van Halen insisting that they have all Brown M&Ms is just to make sure that the talent buyer is reading the fine print. Yeah. Yeah. Now the story was they wanted the Brown M&Ms picked out of the bowl. Oh, is so that what it was? Yeah. It, the well, story mine is would say all I want is brown M&Ms. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. So that's even more work. So yeah, you can pick is, out all is, the green and the red and the yellow. Yeah. But yeah, I no, I based my, I based my, uh, my statement on the fact that if you've seen or know anything about Nashville pussy, uh, you probably have an idea in your head, what you would expect to be on the rider. And I'm telling you, that those are not the top three things on their ride or so. It fair was fun. enough. Fair, it was fair fun. enough. I think that they're going to be surprised at, at their, their habits of their just daily habits when they're home, as yeah. opposed to being on the road and, and the, uh, the, the dangers that they might be, that might afflict them a little bit on the road that, that are not, they're fairly fucking normal when when yeah. you kind of think about what's going on. I think that it's a it's a great episode. Um, we just got off the horn with them, and and they were so nice and awesome. They are just they're awesome. Yeah, and uh, I'm just so happy that uh, they've been able to 
keep their success. And I, I like the part where they talked about uh, their earliest stages where, you know, do we keep the name? Because, you know, when you call your band fucking Nashville Pussy, you're, <laughs> you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot at some point when some people want to put you in front of uh, a family or something. Yeah. And you yeah. can't, you can't do really yeah. do that. So you're, you're not going to get the gig as the church band. No. So I'm no. just so glad that, that that kind of hardcore just lives in rock and roll still. Yeah. And, and they've been uh, doing it now. I won't do the math cause I'm not that good at it, but I'm going to say 26, 27 years. So oh, yeah. uh, they've been oh. at it for a long time. Easy doing it their that way. Long. Yeah. 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 Doing a lot of material. Way. Like you said, very prolific. They just keep on going. And, the, and they're into all kinds of music. We're going to hear Blaine tell a story about uh, George Clinton and P-Funk. And, and you're just you're going to be like, what? You know, um, <laughs> but they're musical people. Yeah. And uh, God, they're, they're just a dynamic duo of, uh, of music. And, For sure. Uh, yeah, loved having uh, Nashville Pussy here on the Talk Louder podcast. So, so you, we were, you know, we were just talking about uh, podcasts, and uh, David turns out Blaine had a podcast that he was doing from the road for a while. Tell yeah, us was, about that. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't. I did it from the house when we had some time off, and it was called the Drunken Rock Show. And I was actually streaming. I was actually putting songs on there, my favorite songs. I had like uh, certain like. Uh, um themes for each one and my uh, roommate at the time would uh, record it and uh we would uh i would get drunk during it in real time <laughs> and uh and tell stories tell natural pussy stories and tell stories about first time i heard this and it was really good but we didn't have it on uh it was back in the early days and the word pussy in 2012, when I was doing this, was uh, iTunes wouldn't have a podcast with Pussy on it. And so this is actually like cloud we put it in didn't sound that great. And uh, it eventually just went away. But it was part of the Slinging Pig radio. Uh, we have a record company, Ryder and I, called Slinging Pig. And we had a radio streaming service for a while that I ran from the from the guest room. <laughs> and they had like played everything. They had had played a uh, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of our good friends, you know, a lot of broken toys on there. That's all. Broken, yeah. broken, toys. broken teeth. No, no, broken teeth. Sorry, no, broken teeth. Okay, I got yeah, right. toys. Broken toys. Sorry. He was covering both bands. Later, right? He was covering <laughs> both bands: Dangerous yeah. Toys and Broken Teeth. Nice. <laughs> well, uh, just the fact that you were you were able to like pull that off. How long ago was it? That was a while ago. That was like about eight or nine years ago, yeah. That's, and uh, so we were streaming your... stuff, and, and we were streaming stuff, and it didn't cost that much. But we had like, uh, I had a halfway decent audience and stuff, you know, if people knew about it. But I didn't, I didn't talk on the actual between songs on the radio. It basically was like my the hard drive that we had, extra hard drive with a bunch of really cool songs on it, you know, Broken Teeth and Dangerous Toys and Black Sabbath and Ramones and Johnny Thunders and Humble Pie. <laughs> Just play. Basically, there's a ju Blaze jukebox all day long. Love it. And we could tap into it. We could tap into it when we were on the road in Europe backstage. Go listen, listen to the radio because it would still be going 24 hours a day. Right. And uh, I don't know. It, it bit the dust, man, unfortunately, because we didn't, I don't know, you know got to keep up with the times and technology and kind of pass yeah. us by. Yeah, we're, we're learning as we go. Every now and then we would log on and listen to our own radio station and we'd find it was just repeating 
one thing after another. And it turned out that like one of our cats would have gone into the room and sat down on the keyboard and like, it was like cat DJ. Like, so we'd have someone go, go come over and push the cat off the keyboard and then the radio would go again. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that. That's awesome. There was a pod you had a podcast back in the day. Jason and I are still learning as we go. And uh, maybe what we're missing, Jason, I, I know you're not a drinker, but uh, it sounds like Blaine's uh, podcast had something to do with booze. So uh, I don't know. You might want to maybe add that to the mix. I don't know. Are you saying <laughs> I need to start drinking again? You don't, you don't like this personality? That's I'm not going to steer you down that road. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So you guys, uh, first of all, let's uh, let's talk about uh, current new things. Uh, you've got a brand new album out, uh, Eaten Alive, double live album. Um, and there you go, right? Yeah. got it on vinyl. Great album cover. From what I've seen, I don't have the vinyl. I, I've seen yeah, pictures. Is that of my it, copy? I was just going to say, okay. is that one yeah. mine? There's Dave's. There's mine, mine. Was, mine was the big one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, look at that. Nice Man. package. What a, what, a, what a cool album. So when you were putting this album together, was there a live album from your, from your younger days that you were trying to model it after? Did you say, look, I want our live album to sound like Double Live Gonzo or Leonard Skinner, One More From, from the Road or No Sleep Till Hammersmith? Live One. Kiss Alive One came up an awful lot. And yes. Ramon live, yeah. Ramon also. And so, did you? Did you? Do you feel like you captured that? Blaine, I think uh, I think we accidentally kind of captured the Kiss Alive thing about having a souvenir. Uh, we didn't get to go back in and doctor the hell out of it like they did, but uh, we. But uh, it's because it's actual worth and all recording. We got to pick the best 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 recordings, and we got to mix it out or had our guy mix it afterwards. But man, it's raw as hell. But People are like, this is the best thing I ever did. Oh, you know, yeah. But they always said, like, you know, you just sound more like you do live. And I finally noticed that I don't know what we sound like live because I'm on stage. And they're, what, I don't know what they're hearing. So I, we asked our sound guy, Dave Bennett, who was a great sound guy in England, said, hey, man, make it sound like it is live. And and he did. And we're like, wow, this is what all the fuss is about. This is great. I mean, it's, it sounds, the drums are bigger and louder. And it, it, it hits harder. You know, it's like sitting next to a really loud PA close to the stage you're hearing the marshals and you're also hearing like boom 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 you know for an yeah. hour and a half <laughs> that lends me to to a question that you know when you kind of just get going and you and you're in a position where you have a real sound man and uh you you somehow found yourself in a in a decent situation where you know you're on you're on a tour and you're making some money and you have a bus and you're in the back lounge and someone who you pay to mix your sound knows better that's why he's making the big bucks comes back into the back lounge and you're all high five and thinking you're hot shit throws the gig tape on the the table and goes y'all should listen to that and leaves the room and you're all <laughs> excited and you put that tape in the player and and the guitar player gets up and leaves the room and you're going oh my god we are terrible is any do you realize a bunch of stuff like that when you listen to yourself live do you realize what's working and what's not working i know that's what happened to me 
Fuck no. We don't yeah. we didn't have to say we're terrible. We always say we're fucking awesome. <laughs> well, well, I'm just saying when you're green and you're young, I mean, you know, it's 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 a lot more tolerable now, but it was early on, you know, I feel like bands should probably start listening to their live performances so they can, you know, dial it in and go, maybe I shouldn't like talk so much between songs or maybe we should get a guitar tech because I was out of tune the whole time. Or, you know, it's <laughs> it's the big dumb stuff that you go, you need to fix quick, right? Yeah. But, they um, had like 25 years to, to work on it. So I yeah. <laughs> I'm t well, my question was more about when you guys first got going, maybe in your first band, maybe not Nashville Pussy, you know, you start listening to yourself live going, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't do that. Is there anything well, like that? Or well, uh, I like the early experience I had like that was after we recorded the first record, Let's Me Pussy, because we did go in and record a record album pretty fast, and we were still yeah. getting our shit together yeah. and uh kurt block the producer brought me a tape of it when we played seattle he goes hey man got the mixes and we, i was sitting in the van and go this is awful and the other day he goes well that's what you sound like motherfucker <laughs> okay <laughs> that reality so like you want you know that's what you sound like if you want to sound different then you need to you know mm. not to, it's not the tape's fault right <laughs> you know? that's right it should the tape doesn't lie that's what i'm trying to say and live yeah. doesn't lie even that hurts even more and that was kind of my point i mean we honestly thought like that first album that we put out me and blaine thought we were fucking aerosmith like we were just like you know we're we're we were aware of all the nuances in it but sure. it's it does not translate to audio like <laughs> yeah 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 well, that's kind of what I'm talking about. I, f I feel like I feel like, you know, when you're when you're writing your first songs, you think that you're bulletproof and they're the most badass thing. And but then you say that about your every new record that you write. Yeah. So you've learned you've learned to hunt as when you when we were all believe it or not, we were all younger at one point. So when you first start writing your first couple of rock and roll tunes, you know, they're influenced by your gods of posters on the wall you grew up with, yada, yada, yada. You, you're you so excited. You think it's great, you know, and I tell young people all the time, you got to write a hundred shitty ones before you really find what it is you're trying to do. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's part of the process of uh, writing the record is uh, I had to write uh, a bunch of shitty songs before I can even write ones that – I like they get rejected by everyone else. <laughs> and Ryder gets to hear the shitty song around the it's, house, and you know it's they're not, they're not. It's not fun. I'm sure it's not even fun for me. It's just uh, it's, a real, it's just a real world, man. God damn it! So, was there a reason you recorded it overseas? Are the audiences better, or was it logistically was the gear no, just in the right we, place at the right time? Yeah, we, we completely lucked out in that. Um, the, the sound man, David Bennett, he wasn't even supposed to be our sound man for the tour. It was, uh, he had already planned to come to all the shows and record the show was the idea. And like he was, he had booked hotel rooms and, and I uh, was taking time off of work just because he's a mega fan and he's recorded us before. And, uh, we fired our sound man on the continent. We'd had him for about four weeks and he was just horrible. And so we fired, fired him right before we crossed where we took, before we took the ferry over to England. And we said, Hey Dave, how'd you like to also run front of house? And so he just completely jumped at the chance and was like, you know, cancel your car. You're riding with us. You know, you can stay at our hotels, blah, blah, blah. And so he went from, you know, he got he got basically promoted big time. Plus, he didn't have to 
he didn't have to dial in somebody else's sound. He got to dial in his own sound. Mm. So it was like, it was a, it was a blessing for us and for him. Cause he was, he was just going to be like, you know, like horning in on the sound guys mix and trying to make the best of that. But he got to get his own mix, you know, like, so it's, it's utterly fantastic. And he's like, he's a, he's a really smart guy. He's one of the only Brits we know who, I mean, he, he passes our, our test of, of what we think is cool. And that includes like, I mean, Kentucky headhunters and the ultimate litmus test is if you like Jackal and he likes Jackal, which is like, <laughs> I like you it. You found your man. You found yeah, your I, man. I, I, I love like it. it. Yeah, Here's the great. Here's yeah, the I mean, Can you name Jackal's first it. album? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it's easy. It's easy to find someone who likes ACDC and Motorhead and Kiss and Thin Lizzy and what have you, Leonard Skinner, blah, blah, blah. But if you find someone who likes Jackal, it's like, oh, yeah, that's a special person. That's, wow. <laughs> what is wow, their first what is their first album? It's not, it's not We Am Jackal, is it? <laughs> no, I, I think it's just self-titled, isn't it? No, I thought it was Rock That's Me and Roll Me and Jackal Me Off or something like that. Jackal Me Off. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Jackal yeah. Me yeah. Off. I thought that was a song on it, but yeah. Um, okay, so, can so you, neither Dave, one of us would... A, can you name a song on the first Jackal record? Yeah. Uh, I always like When's It Gonna... When, uh, uh, something Wait, About the, the Rain. rain yeah. There's a... Uh, rain On Me. Pretty Little Mind is uh is on is on. Yep. Party for Headed for Destruction is my favorite song on there, and that starts with a chainsaw, and then goes into a guitar riff that sounds better than the chainsaw. I mean, that's kind of hard to beat that. With yeah. The chainsaw the thinking, solo. The, the song I'm thinking of is "When Will It Rain." Just when will it rain. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what Jason, is, neither Jason or I would have got the gig. What is the uh, chainsaw song called? What's it called? Uh, it's uh, called the Lumberjack song. Lumberjack, oh, that's Lumberjack. right. Yeah it's, yeah, uh, it's one of those really hard to remember titles. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on the album. I know your fans have been waiting for it for a long time. I, I'm happy that you're happy with it, and I'm happy that your sound guy got it. That's one hell of a feather in his cap. He was just kind yeah. of along for the ride and is a big fan and was recording anyway, and then uh, got to put his magic all over it and get his name in the credits. So. Kudos eat, to them, him. eat them alive is what we're talking about. Where can they get this slab of rock and roll mania? Um, it's 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 available everywhere. <laughs> that's what we that's what I we mean, like. So yeah, well, is Nashville Pussy available at Walmart? Let's be for real. Can you buy yeah, that? You can yes. there, well, there was a day when you probably this couldn't, one, is that correct? This one's on the Walmart. Uh, we I looked up online, eating alive, Nashville Pussy, and the first thing it says is like uh available at walmart which means i think you order it and pick it up because it but uh at, but yeah officially that is on their roster now they can put it on the shelf some guy time. meets you in the back alley and hands it to you <laughs> hey here's your nashville pussy record yeah they it's like he's like it's you know, not stocked hey, on the shelf come in the back i got your pussy record <laughs> but the yeah they can't put it on the shelf yeah what's well, funny a, a million years ago when we first started we had um I'm trying to remember the story properly, but Go Motherfucker Go was going to wind up on a compilation that was going to be distributed by Walmart. And we were brand new, really big, big britches at the time. And they had put out this edited version of a Go Motherfucker Go without our, without our, you know, we hadn't approved anything. And instead of them like putting a car honk over top of the word fuck, or anything, they just cut it out and put it together. So it sounded like CD skipping, because we say it like, what, 27 times in the song or something like that. And so instead of saying, go mother, uh, or it said, go mother, 
or it was just it was it was wrong right and so we said fuck no are you out of your mind and they had made like a hundred thousand copies or something like that so national pussy and we were on the road we were busy we didn't know we just heard this one thing and said man that sounds like absolute fucking dog shit like you cannot release that and they had already done like i mean it was a mass it was huge it was fucking huge and we were responsible for the recall of like <laughs> uh, i was going into walmart that was supposed to be that was supposed to be in it was supposed to be in walmart but uh that was our first opportunity <laughs> what did you what did you do tell just so you know we it's it's a pretty good story what what does a band do when you're kind of I mean, were you guys have any, you didn't have any say in the edit, but here they had, they had all this stock. Was it CDs and vinyl? Well, it was, it was, what it was, uh, it was a, a soundtrack to this D. Snyder movie, uh, whatever that was, that movie he had, he made. Uh, Strangeland. Yes. Yeah. It was, yeah. We were on the Strangeland soundtrack and they took it and made it like a CD skip, like Roger said. And we were in, uh, I don't know if it was our record company or what, but we were in a position to do what we wanted back then. So we said, get that out of there. And uh, I mean, Walmart was the only one that got hurt. D was fine. Everything else was fine. I don't remember what happened ex exactly, but we were horrified by it. Because it was going to be the first time we were new. And plus, we've been be new to these people. The first time someone hears us, it's like a CD skipping. You know, you know. And, <laughs> Fuck. No wonder you were pissed. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, your first time. It's a massive exposure and, and your song doesn't sound like you recorded it. <laughs> yeah. God, I think I would have shed tears. That just sounds that's that's a big ass bummer, man. This this brings me to a question that I was going to ask uh, later, but I'll ask it now since we're on the subject of censorship. Basically, um, when you guys first started, the band was called Hell's Half Acre. And then you changed the name to Nashville Pussy. So I want to know, what was that decision-making process like? How did you go from Hell's Half Acre to a name that was basically commercially suicide? Um, well, uh, we were called, there was about six other bands called Hell's Half Acre. And plus people had albums out called Hell's Half Acre. And as far as our band, Nashville Pussy, uh, as soon as we started, we did really well. And we had all this bidding war on us on the, with the name National Pussy. We were nominated for a Grammy with the word na name National Pussy. And we opened up in, for Marilyn Manson on the biggest rock tour in the world with the name that National Pussy. We played Le Redding and Leeds with that name National Pussy. And so we weren't going to change anything. No. <laughs> My, yeah, our, our mainstream ambitions only go so far, man. I, we're, we're just glad to be doing that man I, we i we're we're all about being cool you know and having a cool name because we have to go back to our friends so we call ourselves the you know the that, something really lame and um, we get shit for it man i don't know yeah no it's well, like I, I really, it's like uh it's like the the dicks the dicks aren't going to change their name just to get no. some kind of deal or some kind of hot shot you know big fat check or something right They're, we're no. the dicks we can't we're going to be the dicks <laughs> yeah. Fuck you we're the dicks I remember interviewing. Uh, I remember interviewing Blaine and and Ryder for the San Antonio Express News in about 1998. It was right around the time of your first album, and you you guys had a buzz, just like you said, Blaine. So you you couldn't be ignored, especially in a rock city like San Antonio. And I was kind of the rock reporter guy, so and I was familiar with you. So they they said, "Hey, can can you get an interview with these folks? Can we do a story?" And I said, "Yeah." But I was like, what are you going to how are you going to print that in the paper? Because it's 1998 and this is a family newspaper and they're not and they didn't. They printed it was the band went by Nashville P. That's yeah, how they which, printed it. 
And then all the many years <laughs> later, my editor was just fumbling through the archives and he found the article and he sent it to me and he said, hey, I was just I was just messing around through the electronic archives and I found this story you did back in 98. And he goes, I'm really sorry we had to call him Nashville P. It was such a great interview. <laughs> so it came out, but they were, you know, your name was censored. But no that, surprise. I'm honestly thinking that in this day and age that we should just change the fucking name and just call it the pussy. Yeah, well, now you could get away with it. There's Pussy Riot, there's Pussy Gillette, there's Nashville Pussy. It's it's not as shocking as it was back then. Um, so, yeah, you, you, but I, I love the fact that you did it back at a time when it was going to cause some backlash and you just didn't care. <laughs> we, we, we didn't expect that. We, we, we were so naive. We uh, we like uh, uh, are very naive. We, we cuss a lot more than most people and uh, we're very crude. So we're. <laughs> Anytime anyone was objected to anything we did, I mean, I, we knew go motherfucker go wasn't going to get on a, you know, some high school dance or anything. But uh, yeah. you know, we thought, you know, we had, we thought we didn't think it was going to hold us back whatsoever. We, we were just having fun, you know. Well, for people yeah. for people listening and and or watching, I I, I just want to say this: it's like, you know, meeting you guys and working with you guys is is like it just seems like you guys don't give a fuck about fucking any the thing is you guys are smart and nice and professional and you fucking care don't tell anybody yeah yeah you're, you know what i mean you're intelligent you're gonna ruin their reputation jason oh, hold on let me finish let me finish my fanboy rant the thing is is you guys are all of these great things you it, it the, as long as there's jack daniels on the writer <laughs> and I in right i just do that in for fun but my point is the same. You guys are super nice. You're super talented. You're fun. You have the respect of your peers. You've you've rubbed elbows with, toured with, written songs for and with. You'd see where I'm going. Just for people oh, yeah. listening, they need to know that you guys are, even though you're called Nashville Pussy and they just read the set list, it's like, holy shit, my parents are not going to let me, you know, whatever it is, depending on what their game is. Dude, you guys are awesome that you uh, were <laughs> able you. to have an education and still say, fuck you. And that there's nothing more rock and roll than that, I, I think. Uh, a lot of people need to realize that, you know, uh, people in black metal and death metal bands is the same thing. They do. They think that everyone burns churches and and worship Satan. Fuck. No, those guys are reading books and listening to jazz. It's the same. <laughs> it's the same shit with you guys. Yeah, we're Nashville pussy. Hey, can you put on a Miles Davis? I'm going to read some, you know, read a nice book and smoke a cigar, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I know early on when I was, uh, you know, I knew had all these friends who were in metal bands and they'd sing like real tough songs and say bitch and blah, blah, blah. And then they'd have like a monogamous girlfriend and then there'd be the sensitive songwriter guys and they'd screw everything they could and be total dicks. You know, I mean, it's it's weird. Uh, yeah, people do get people do think uh, that you're stupid if you play hard rock. And Lemmy is the smartest person I ever met. So, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, an English gent for sure. And could yeah. uh, he could should have been on Jeopardy or some shit. <laughs> yeah. hold it. I, I just got this is totally lame story, but I just got to this part in this uh, historical drama novel that I'm reading right now about about the fourth queen of of uh, King Henry. And they're talking about the young Tudor 
potential King Edward and how he was very weak. And I remember Lemmy telling me about him. Wow. <laughs> I remember Holy having fuck. a conversation where he was like, Edward was the peaked boy. He was very <laughs> frail and they were so protected, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, and it's taking me this long. I finally have read him. Now I'm finally reading about him. But I, wow. like, I hear Lemmy's voice. I could hear Lemmy telling me in this entire tale because he would always tell us about Tudor Kings and American, whatever. He would make fun of American history because it was so short and how, you know, Motorhead's been around like, you know, half as long as America has and you know, black <laughs> history. And he would always, whenever he won a video game or whatever, he always had the high score and he would sign it like some historical figure. So you would ask him a question so he could tell you about it. Yeah. 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 I, th I think we've all been privy to that to some degree or another. I, I remember, in fact, I think it was, uh, I think it was Motorhead and Nashville Pussy playing at the back room in Austin, mm -hmm. Texas. Yeah. And um, it was actually, this was a great night. It was a Saturday night. It was my 35th birthday. Uh, I was- Dave for I, the win. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't get better than that. <laughs> and then at the end of the night, they clear the venue and I was sitting next to Lemmy at the bar and they had one of those uh, trivia game, video yeah. game deals. And he's just knocking out American history like he was an American history teacher. And of course, he's a British citizen, of course, or, you know, born in Britain, but he knew everything on that game. And he was just acing this thing. And it's like 2.30 in the morning now. And I, who knows how much Jack and Coke he's got in him at the time. But he was just knocking it down, man. It was it was impressive. He really was a smart was, guy. The first time I ever met the guy, and it might have been there. It might have been at that show. That might have been our very first show with them. was in Austin in the back room. Yeah. But it was a, remember, I mean, whatever. He's been my hero since high school. And my boyfriend turned me on to him. I had, I stole my boyfriend's motorhead shirt. That's what I was wearing when I met Blaine, who was also wearing a motorhead shirt in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, back when shirts were an actual true indicator of, you know, like reaching out and like, hello, friend, friend, yeah. you know. Right. Yeah. One of my tribe. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. But I've had these, you know, I've had these ideas of what Lemmy's like, you know, in my mind for, you know, I guess at that point, you know, solid 18 years before finally get a chance to meet the guy. And I go backstage, written on the wall was a, I think it was an Austin band called Sinus, S-I-N-I-S. Yep. Yep. And they with a, <clears throat> with like the kiss letters or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And because uh, I walk in and there's Lamb, and I'm like, oh yeah, hi, hi Larry. And he, and he points to the wall and he says, oh, it's a palindrome. And I was like, <laughs> what? And he's like, oh, it's the same forwards as backwards. This is palindrome. And I was like, oh, yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> Indeed it is, Lemmy. Like, I, that was not the first thing I thought was going to pop out of his mouth. Crazy. <laughs> right. The first thing out of his mouth is educational. Flexing yeah. knowledge. Yeah. yeah. You mean, So let's talk a little bit more about that particular show, because at that show that same day with some friends of mine who you also toured with, I was going to ask you, what do you guys remember about Pure Rubbish? Oh, God. That's a whole, uh, I mean, Ryder probably tell you a story better, but uh, yeah, we're the ones that got them on a lot of that stuff. I, you, you remember it better than I do probably, Ryder. Oh, I don't know, man. We uh, <laughs> Every time we played Houston, Kathy Cowgirl would insist that they open up for us. And the first time they played, they opened up for us. They were, I mean, God, they were children. They were like, I think Evan was 13 yeah. and Derek probably 15 and they still had their dad singing for them. Yeah. And they, had that, they had a chick playing bass at the time. And 
so I think they opened up for us more than once. And then we had an opportunity to have them open up for us, but we had to wait until school year was finished so they could come with us. And I can't remember how long the tour was, but we took them to, to New York and they were, that's when they were doing, uh, they were still playing Yardbirds, like I'm not talking. Oh my God. They would just blow everybody's minds. Like, like just the fact that a kid knew that Yardbird bird song and could play it better than you was just like in your fucking face. Like taking them to New York was just such a like, like wake up world. Like look what's going on in Texas. These kids are going to kick your fucking ass. And so, so amazing. And then whatever, like, you know, the downfall of pure rubbish years later, thanks to Sharon Osbourne. But you know, like mm. they kicked some fucking ass for a long time. They're absolutely incredible. And I guess they're still kicking ass in their individual. I, yeah. Now you mentioned now you mentioned them. I remember a really funny story. They opened for us in Houston. We played with them before. We had to come uh, open up the next time, and uh, it was early on. And our friends, uh, a band called Gaunt, from our late friend Jerry, was they were opening up on tour with us. And Pure Rubbish opened up for opened up first. And Gaunt plays like this kind of emo, kind of uh, uh, um, punk stuff. Really, really good. But uh, I sat there and watched this guy, Jerry, who was like 33 at the time, watch these 15 year olds kick his ass. And I was like, dude, you're going to go up there and write these, sing these punk songs, play them like your life after these kids played in your dolls and smoked you. And he's like, man, this is not fair. And when we took them to New York, though, uh, back then, New York was very cutthroat as you probably remember about who gets to open up and who gets to be on this bill. And everyone wanted to be on national pussy bill. And we got those guys uh, rubbish on at tramps. And uh, we had a lot of people, they, we put them up in the order. They were playing right before us or right before us in the swinging net breakers. I forget what it was, but there was two or three bands that had played before pure rubbish and they were friends. And they were like, why do we playing for these kids? And all of a sudden they start playing. They're going, Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't want to follow this. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. They were an amazing, amazing band, super talented kids. And yeah, I, I remember because my my wife uh, lived in Houston when we met. And so I would drive back and forth to Houston to hang out with her. She's my girlfriend at the time. And and I was friendly with the Pure Rubbish guys because I saw them at South by Southwest. And this was when Sharon Osbourne was doing a showcase for whatever the record, Divine Records or something like that. And uh so I went to the Pure Rubbish rehearsal spot and we just used to make it a routine. I'd go up to see Kim. I'd pick her up. We'd go over to the Rubbish rehearsal place and we'd hang out. And, and like Ryder said, the drummer's like 14 years old and his brother's amazing guitar player and, and frontman singer. And I just thought that all the stars were going to align because they, the, they had all the ingredients of a great band. And the funny thing was there were kids and this is like uh, this is the late 90s, early 2000s. Kids their age are listening to Soundgarden and Pearl Jam. But these guys could tell you everything about Hanoi Rocks, the Dead Boys, the New York Dolls, Michael Monroe. It was there. You know, they were just incredible. So I wanted to pick your brain because I know you spent some time and they were they were backstage that night that I'm talking about when you guys played with Motorhead and at the back room in Austin. Yeah, I, hope, I hope they don't hate us for having you know, sped up their musical experience in any way, but they were definitely a, they were a force at the time and they needed to be, they needed to be seen by the world. They definitely, and I mean, they were, you know, like, I mean, whatever, they wind up being that band that for Kelly Osbourne for the. Yeah. For, yeah I saw that too. The There's a great pictures floating around somewhere of them 
playing a stadium in France. I think it's in Paris and they're opening for ACDC. That's right. And, and it's uh, shot wow. from kind of, it's sort of shot from behind Evan, the drummer. And so you see their backs to the camera and there's just this vast stadium. And I mean, it's, it's huge. It's every person's dream gig and you're opening for ACDC and yeah. you know, the average age at that time was probably 16 or 17. So incredible kids, man. They're not kids okay. anymore, but. Yeah. Um, we had we had a way from Voivod on the show a couple of weeks ago and uh, Ryder commented on some post that I put up on social media that we should have asked uh, a way about the tour that you guys did together, Nashville Pussy and Voivod. And, um, and I, we I remember limited, that we had limited time with him. So yeah. it was there was that as well up against us. But that's so I remember fun. I remember that tour and I thought it was kind of number one. I thought it was an odd mix. And number two, I think Ryder told me after the fact that you guys shared a tour bus for that tour. Tell me about how that even came together, the packaging of, of Nashville Pussy with Voivod, and then tell me what it was like living on a bus with those guys for however long it was. Um, uh, our manager managed, at the time managed Voivod, and he told us we were going with Voivod, and we're going to share a bus. <laughs> and, and, and you said, all, when do I show up? They were a lot of fun. It was, a me- it was kind of messy, man. I remember it being kind of messy. And that's all. Really? <laughs> Super fucking messy, man. It was it was so disgusting, but we had so much fucking fun. I remember the first, the very first, I was a huge Voivod fan again since high school because I'm Canadian. So, you know, that was, you know, if you're into not Rush, you listen to Voivod. Yeah. And they're, you know, I was re- I'd never seen them live and I'd always want to see them live. And I was really hoping that they wouldn't be assholes. And I was hoping that they still rocked. And I mean, and plus we had to live with them. Right. So like, let's hope they're cool fucking dudes. And Thank God. But I remember the very, very first show, our manager said that Snake's not supposed to be drinking. And so Ryder, don't make Snake drink. And we had been given a a handle of Jack. It was a bottle, you know, the one with the fucking handle on it. And our tour manager at the time, Simon DeWinter, said, he put it on the table and he's like, he says, don't think of it as a challenge. (laughs) It was like... And I can't remember how many people were involved in polishing that thing off. I would like to blame many people, but we had that thing. That thing was gone within the hour of the warning email from our manager. And we sent a picture to him in response to don't let snake drink with the empty bottle and him and I just laying on like passed out in the back of the bus bottle completely empty we just sent that picture back i said what (laughs) that was day one that was day one how long was this tour it was only about i think it was maybe two weeks max we had some UK shows and we had some french shows and yeah the bus was a pigsty i remember uh blackie creeping blaine out a few times blackie used to be pretty creepy how so Oh, he, he would like sneak up to Blaine would be like chilling out, smoking weed, like reading or watching a movie or something. And Blackie would come up behind him, put his arms around him really slowly, Ooh. like freak him out on the bus. Like, ah, French Canadians are very loving. <laughs> They're friendly and happy. more than others. Apparently. Yeah. 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 But, he wasn't really making sense when he was talking. Um, that was it. I have like one rule. It just makes sense. And that's it. Say whatever you want. Just makes sense. And it was all, 
uh, I don't know. There's uh, very few people I walk away from. And he would start talking. And I was like, man, I can't, can't do this. <laughs> wow. But you're on the bus with them. So, you know, but they were great. They were great. It was a good, it was a fun time. We went, we were touring England. So we played some crappy places in the middle of nowhere in England and still had a good time and had good crowds. And, uh, you know, they were good. They're still heavy and loud and all that stuff, man. What year? Their new record's amazing. What year were they, uh, was this tour? 2000, 2000, um, that's right. I mean, I think it's like around 2009, 2010, maybe. Wow. So I remember going from that tour to doing the nine pound hammer tour where I had to sing, which is 2010. So, uh, yeah, I, I stayed on the bus. And Roy Vaughn got off first, and I stayed on the bus. And they and the bus, I rode with the bus to, to Germany, <laughs> got off and got on a train. And you know, so yeah, I definitely remember the double decker bus. Uh, we were on, it had a bunch of bunch of bunks on there it wasn't nice but it had a bunch of room uh yeah that's it sounds i mean a, a bus with just one band is crowded but two bands and then assorted roadies and whatever <laughs> that had yeah, I, had, I used to do a i used to do a, that blog called rambling with rider and uh and so i posted a bunch of pictures of of our filthy it was like the joke was it was like what do you get when you mix like one canadian four french canadians a guy from kentucky and a couple of uk french you know like and then it's like instant hillbilly bus, like because there was just clothes hanging all over the place. Because you know you wash your clothes or you don't wash your clothes, and you hang it up to dry. And it was just like, yeah, we had two, we had a really we had two really cool Dutch women with us, and our cousin Adam was our guitar track tech. And like, yeah, it was just it was just a pigsty, but it was a love fest. We had a great time. I got to sing Astronomy Donnelly every uh -huh. night. Oh, wow. Hey. Always wanted to do that. I always wanted to sing that high part that ah, and Snake doesn't do that live. So I was like, yeah. <laughs> where's run that part? Yeah. <laughs> run out there and like hijack the microphone. Yeah, you could have made a movie. Uh I mean a camera crew probably would have barfed you know, having to be on the bus with all of that going on, but could have made a movie about the escapades of Voivod meets Nashville Pussy. Yeah. I, I would watch that. Yeah, I would too. Tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Peacemaker. That's a, that's a pretty major score for you guys. I mean, it's, uh, I haven't, I've only seen clips, but apparently it's a super hot, uh, television show you guys are on it your song is uh come on come on uh how did you tell me what that phone call was like how did you find out you were going to be in this thing and then and then what were your expectations because it sounds like you know john cena's got some star power i guess but the premise of the show on paper doesn't sound like it's necessarily going to be a blockbuster so how did tell me about the phone call and then tell me what your expectations were when you agreed to put the song in the movie or the show Lane? nah you did all that <laughs> uh, well i don't know we had like exactly like you said on paper you're like what because <laughs> first of all i didn't know who john cena was i thought it was uh what's the name of that guy blaine you know what i'm talking about <laughs> who did you think it was it's pretty funny that was a little little scrawny dude it's not his name it's sarah oh. i'm sarah <laughs> Michael Sarah, he thought it was Michael Sarah from Superbad and Rest of Development, uh, yeah, the right. nerdy kid, and uh, from uh, Hollywood Hot, uh, you know, where yeah. was the Hot Tub Time Machine thing and all yeah, yeah. Or whatever, yeah. Apocalypse, yeah, that little uh, 
hooked in nerdy funny yeah. guy. No, he thought that the, was he thought that was peacemaker. Cena's yeah. the wrestler guy turned actor, not the, yeah. that's yeah. Not yeah. the rock. Right. He's not the rock. Yeah. Yeah. John Cena is the opposite of Michael Sarah, which I yeah. You know, so I was picturing that little dude, and then they said it was going to be in the scene where they're driving down the road, and they and he's got a pet eagle named Eagly, and he's going to have his head hanging out the window like a dog, going, and that's when they're going to play our song. And I'm like, fine, you know. And they're talking about how he wants peace at any cost, and he'll kill as many people as possible. It's so whatever, you know. There's very, it makes no sense when you read it like that. <laughs> and then and then we found out. It's okay. So we get the contract and we do all the negotiations and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know how it works in the movies. It's like a year later, right? like this might happen. We don't know. Definitely don't count on it because it might change the second before. And then we get a call from our buddy Earl Brown, who's like actor from Deadwood. And uh, he's like, congratulations. And we're like, what? And he says, it's in the, it's in the trailer. It's going to be in the show. It's on like now. And uh, that was it. And so we watched the trailer was absolutely fantastic. It's absolutely, it's so hilarious. And our song is in there for like, I mean, it's half the trailer and it, it coincides perfectly. They've edited like the, the, the gunshots to go along with the beat. So it's, and they have John Cena jumping up in the air, screaming, fuck yeah like right along with the song so it's like he's singing it it's fantastic and then the episode that it's in he's actually singing he's rocking out in his car to us like he's headbanging and playing like drums on a steering wheel so it's like it's just utterly fantastic it's so cool and it's a it's a really really hilarious series and like blaine and i are kind of we don't we're not down with superhero shit man like we have a general no capes rule in the house and we got totally totally swayed by this and we're i mean like it was it's just hilarious and there's just so many there's so many jokes in it and there's a there's a lot of character development and they and they play you know they played us they played the helicopters like it's like fuck. yeah yeah some whoever the music music directors are and just lack of better term hollywood that's putting that shit together no it's, not... it's all it's all james gunn this is james gunn Amazing. thing and it's like yeah. it's like guardians of the galaxy which blaine hasn't right. watched like he actually manages to use music as like a character in yes. his fucking movies like guardians of the galaxy like that mixtape one is a fucking character it's yes. like it represents so much and then at the end of the movie when you see that there's a mixtape two you know there's going to be a whole nother movie like it's like I mean, the way he uses music is just amazing because we're like, how the hell did you know about us? And he's like, I've had this song ready for something. I was just waiting for the perfect place to put it. And it's just like, I mean, it's fantastic. Like he's making careers right now. This is the, you can see the James Gunn effect on our Spotify where it's just crawl, 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 crawl. And then Peacemaker. <laughs> it's just like yeah. off the phone. Well, the, the added bonus, too, is I, I think it was uh, Rich Jones, the guitarist for Black Halos and Michael Monroe's band. I follow him on, I guess it was Twitter or something. I think it was him, but he made the point that not only is it cool that this music is in, in this series, but the actors are actually voicing or singing the lyrics. So, you know, not only are they studying their lines, they're having to go back and like study this record collection of stuff that's like in some cases 35 years old, you know, they're, and it's obscure. It's the choir boys. It's the helicopters, you know. I mean, I think the Nashville Pussy song might be one of the more recent songs on the whole thing. And it's like 2005 or something, right? 
Yeah, I, I love I, the I, fact. I'm just like I'm. I'm just imagining rehearsal with John Cena. You know, learning the 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 lyrics to a Hanoi rock song. <laughs> Because he's going to have to sing a Nashville straight. pussy song is my point. It's like these yeah. motherfuckers are having to learn shit. You came out of y'all's fucking brain. Yeah. <laughs> and it's rad. a huge hit. Pretty, and it's a hit. Rad. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. Slightly, I'm slightly jealous of the choir boys because they got to be in the scene where John Cena's running around his underwear singing into a dildo. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> I was just on a boat with those guys. Oh, right on. Yeah, one on of the, those guys, the Monsters of Rock crews. One of the guys didn't make it because of COVID something, but they had a, they found a quick replacement or something. Was that the, um, was it was Don Jameson on that one? Yeah, he was. Yeah, cool. Yeah, we yeah. just saw him last weekend. Oh, I saw that. We had him on the show. He's been on the podcast. He was yeah, great. Yeah. Now, you did a whole tour with him, didn't you? Yeah, he was our, he was our opening act across Canada. Nice. And, uh, and and of course, you know, we drove in the van together, so we had to we had to deal with, uh, you know, going through snowy weather and like, you know, we got to know each other really good. Mm-hmm. To say the least. <laughs> and, uh, we we're just we we're just recalling we had a one gig in Quebec City where nobody spoke English, right? Or very few people spoke English, and his act is, you know, it's kind of in English. And he he brought up our merch girl was the interpreter, and she was oh. fucking hilarious man and she would say things like i'm not saying that but in french (laughs) which made made it funnier yeah yeah it was it was the it was probably the best show of the whole tour because he had to work really really hard and he was completely thrown off of his regular you know he could not go into automatic pilot at all because some of there was like crickets at some points and then she would say something and everybody would crack up it was really fun i was i was probably my favorite don james Wow, that's a that's a different uh, spin on his act entirely because of the barrier. So yeah, her having to regurgitate it all made it funnier. I get it. That's awesome. So let me ask you: uh, you've been through your rhythm section has kind of done the Spinal Tap thing. You know, you've been through a number of drummers, a number of bass players. Um, I wanted to ask about. the bass players in particular, you, are, are you guys just opposed to hiring a, a male? Does it have we, to be a female? We had, we, had a, we had Eddie Spaghetti and we had... Um, oh, cool. Uh, He's been on here Zeke. too. Yeah. Jason Jason Freeman, we had him on. He's from Zeke. He played with us for a while. Who else do we have? We've had a couple of dudes. But okay. it was just short, short runs. Yeah, I was just wondering if the if the aesthetic of two females and two males is so ingrained in the Nashville pussy persona and lore that it that you have to maintain it, or if you just haven't had any good guys show up to somebody. Somebody's <laughs> got to wear the Peter Chris makeup and the Ace Freely makeup, Dave. I prefer working with women. Like I said, uh, I am over men, and uh, it's good dynamic in the van because. Two women, two men, you kind of more polite around each other than all guys or all, all women. And uh, it was a happy accident when we started. Because I think uh, it was first, uh, it was first it was me, Ryder Corey, and Adam Neal. And uh, Adam Neal was a drummer, and he had been in Nine Pound Hammer originally, then went to form National Pussy with me. And we were just talking like, wow, everyone gets along way better than we did with all four guys in Nine Pound Hammer, just hating each other's guts within like the third gig. <laughs> So it was a it was a happy accident, man. I was uh, so can always try to keep that going. Plus, it, it looks better. It looks better to you know. Come on, 
Sure, well, sure. I think Dave, would, Dave mentioned that that the, the stage dynamic is like you guys, you know, it's like Kiss characters or something. You know, you guys could literally have like an action figure type thing, and it would it would work with a band like great. Nashville Pussy and the way that people have seen you guys over the years in that way. You know, it's a it's well, like, a uh, it seems like aspire to the action figure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you understand what I'm saying, though. Yeah. Your current bass player, and you've had her for a while, Bonnie, uh, my understanding is that she was originally a fan who used to come out to your shows and then made the leap from being a fan to joining the band. So if that's, that's correct, cool. sort of lead me through that process. When did you first meet her as a fan, and then how did she end up in the band? Yeah, she used to, Bonnie was real into music when she was a teenager and uh, used to hang out at <clears throat> cool record stores and stuff. She's from Southern California. And I think she read about us first time in Maximum Rock and Roll. And uh, I know that she, I know, I don't know if it was the first show or not, but I, there was at least one show that I had to sneak her into and told people that she was like my little sister and had her carry my guitar. And so she'd get in at 17 or something like that. And I remember, I think she'd had, um, she had tattooed our cat right here on her on her wrist oh, wow. and she had that tattooed on her already for a couple of years when we first asked her to audition for our band and when we first told her that she didn't get the audition because she was too young and as as i've said we didn't want to be responsible for having ruined her life because she was so young and at the time very i mean you know we're whatever. I didn't, I didn't want her to drag. I guess I was trying to protect her. And so after after we chose Katie Lynn over her, she went on. She, you know, she was determined and she wound up starting her own band, recording, working in a studio, touring. You know, she I don't know if she toured internationally, but she toured nationally. She went on the Vans Warp Tour and she did, a, you know, she she basically ruined her own life. So it wasn't our responsibility. Yeah. She got on. <laughs> she got Good her, for her. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She got her road legs under her well enough that when um, after Karen had quit, we got an opportunity. The next tour was going to be opening up for ZZ Top, wow. and uh, Bonnie was in a situation that was not awesome, and uh, <laughs> she was splitting up with her guy at the time, and so she was perfect for her. We we're like, hey, you know, how'd you like Escape. to be a tour bus? We're opening up for ZZ Top at some of the best wineries on the West Coast. Tickets are like 150 bucks. And so it was perfect for her to say, fuck you. I'm going on tour with Nashville Pussy, opening up for ZZ Top. So bye. You know, like it was win-win-win. And she's now been with us for a decade. So we just celebrated. Wow. Wow. So, so number one, she could play. Number two, she already ruined her own life. And number three, she broke up with her boyfriend and got the gig and was ready to go. That's not a bad yeah. story. That's a that's a, <laughs> that's 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 a story. That's a story that uh, like that could be lyrics. That whole scenario could be the <laughs> fuck you. I'm going on the road with Nashville, you know, opening for ZZ Top, eat my shit, you know. Yeah, man. I mean, she was, she was putting up with some dick boyfriend, you know, a week, or, a week earlier. And now she's like walking, walking in the morning in her pajamas next to, you know, Dusty and like you know, wow. brushing her teeth together and like, you know, waking up at wineries. I mean, like it was exquisite. That was an exquisite tour. It was the, probably the, the poshest tour we've ever done wow. in North 
America. I mean, by far, like these were, this, we had so many people asking for tickets, so many people bugging us. To the oh, guest yeah. Bucket wow. Uh, wow. Um, what about, uh, I have a, she may, it may have been Bonnie, but I was uh, working at South Austin Music selling guitars and amps, and you guys did a gig with Honky at uh, South Austin Speed Shop, which was next door to the music store I worked at. And I I want to say it was Bonnie, but I, it was probably yeah. at about 10, Was that was not Bonnie, that was somebody else. That was Karen, yeah, I remember okay. there was. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, her didn't make it. The airline lost her base, so she came over and I hooked her up with a base. You guys remember that? Yeah, her base. Yeah. Her base got sent to Hawaii. Oh. <laughs> she was just... Her base made it had a better destination than she oh, did. Shit. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. I remember the gig not being like, who are all these smarmy people, and why is Honky and Nashville pussy in this? I mean, uh, it was like too many about, people we got, we got wearing. Ten thousand dollars for playing that party, I think. So we we all flew out there and did that. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Was, and we we spent like so we it's like, hey, do you guys want to make some money? Play in front of uh, uh, some celebrities, and it was like Cat Von D and Sandra Bullock, and uh, yeah, uh, and like it, you know, it was a weird little gig. We knew it'd be it's yeah. like, do you want to go? Out? And and so we spent like the next three days there, just yeah. hanging, eating barbecue, and doing drugs and stuff. She, got, you know? she probably just got a new base. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it came back. I don't, I don't, I don't remember the base but debacle. With the payday you got, she could have bought a oh, squi yeah. squire for the rest of the, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So in the, in the beginning of the episode, we usually have a photo montage where we where we show photos of, of you guys. And Blaine, I was going to ask you about one of the photos that I saw. It's you and George Clinton. Oh, um, what, what can you tell me about that photo? What was that all I think about? I think it was with uh i think that might have been the one in D dc roger was that it yeah uh we've met george clinton a few times and he was a big he's a big uh big fan of national pussy he saw us early on wow. in north carolina and then uh he showed up later in amsterdam with p-funk at one of our shows and also the amsterdam hell's angels showed up too and so we had p-funk and amsterdam hell's angels and uh, I think this, this other time, Nine Pound Hammer, my other band was playing some weird little party at this uh, place in D.C. There was like some uh, weird little <laughs> it wasn't, house. It wasn't a weird. It wasn't a weird little party. You guys played a place called the Mansion. It was like a an, an incredible show. <laughs> All right, it was. Uh, we played in the floor while people were eating, so to me it was weird. But uh, basically, there was. Uh, it was like this. Uh, kind of a party for the distributors and he's a uh, rich music company people. And, uh, he was there and, uh, and the best thing about it was he, he watched nine pound hammer Ryder was in the audience too. And then, uh, he was, he looks over to his friend while nine pound hammer is playing. I was playing guitar and, uh, he goes, Hey, see that girl over there. That's his wife. She jams her ass off too. <laughs> I was like <laughs> the great compliment. And he's always, we've, not ever hooked up and uh we were talked about working together and we hang when we hang out we hang out but it's been a while you know yeah yeah and he's a he's a fan where i mean it's like having beethoven be a fan of yours i mean i he's uh i mean he's revered by the world and even yes. more so by us i mean uh yeah we really 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 got into every every nuance of uh 
when they're in nook and cranny of, of Funkadelic and every possible like song, every possible note. I mean, it's, it's worth studying, you know, yeah. we did that so long and then, you know, there he is like, you know, and I'm, we're in a picture together. It's so cool. Yeah. That's humbling, why I asked. Cause I know you're a moment fan. for you, man. That's a humbling. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's huge. Same, same. Uh, Blaine stole a lyric from him and we named our album, say something nasty after that's a George Clinton line. And we told him that, that we stole, uh, we played with him in Amsterdam. We had, um, what's that song? Which song is it playing? Is it say what? something nasty? Say something nasty is called yeah it's from say something Na- oh uh say something Na- i think it's called uh, from take your dead ass, dead ass home off uh like the and it's yeah and it goes i think it's boots he goes go on say say something nasty and that's the one yeah i like i was like what <laughs> like that's cool that's, that's cool that's great there's your nashville pussy trivia for you yeah. right there i had no idea so same, same question same question to writer because i saw a photo of you with james hetfield what's the story behind that Oh yeah, that was uh, when we played with Motorhead at Maritime Maritime Hall in uh, San Francisco, and yeah, James Hetfield like wandered into our backstage, got that look on his face, and then left. <laughs> and then <laughs> promptly going to promptly going to uh, to uh, Motorhead's room where he knows people, and I was like, "Fuck that shit." So- you know hunted him down even though he had short hair at the time and, and sh- you know hung out for a while but yeah we got that one picture but he had that fucking haircut so it's just like you know like, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, walked, he walked in our dressing room with that look on it i mean walked in and we're like, oh my god they are here they're coming to talk to us and looked around like this isn't the right room it was gone it was that book <laughs> and what's funny is when we tour with zz top frank beard has a dog well, I forget the dog's name. Um, Gizmo, Gizmo, Gizmo. Gizmo, Gizmo. Apologize. Sorry, Gizmo. Sorry. And uh, Gizmo basically would come on stage and everything. And uh, Gizmo, when I was just me in our dressing room, Gizmo walked into our dressing room, saw me, realized he was the same, the same look on his face as James Hatfield, realized he was in the wrong place and walked out. I was like, hey, what's up, Gizmo? And, uh, oh, never mind. He's gone. I said, wow. Well, did Ryder chase Gizmo down? Hey, uh-uh, you got to come back here and take a picture with me. And Ryder make uh, and name face. James Hetfield was way easier to hang out with. Gizmo was like, I mean, he's upper echelon, man. He'd be, he, Whoa, he, okay. Gizmo wow. wouldn't even hang out with, uh, there's not a chance in hell James Hetfield could hang out with Gizmo. Gizmo so Frank like, Beard's dog and James Hetfield. <laughs> Some fucked up lyric idea there going too. Sorry. <laughs> So, uh, Ryder, you mentioned earlier, you mentioned Sean from uh, White Zombie. How many times have you been mistaken for her? And have you ever played it off? Have you ever, like, oh. did, has anyone ever handed you a White Zombie autograph or album and you just autographed it? Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it happens both awesome. ways. Yeah. And what's, what's even better is that her and I, we even fucking dressed the same, man. Like, I ran into her at the Rainbow one night and we were both wearing, like, Black tank tops, little single chain, jean jacket. I think we we're both wearing shorts and like flip flops. It was like, how's it going? <laughs> like, well, like, whatever. Like yeah. looking kind of in a mirror, so I get it, you know. Yeah, well, uh, you know, you cut from the same cloth, you know. It, yeah. It's the whole thing you mentioned earlier. That's she's in your tribe, man. She's our tribe. This is, yeah. You know, you're looking for the Motorhead badge, you know, something. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't. I mean, I, 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 it's fabulous that people actually, you know, mistake. Yeah. I don't mind it at all, but I have 
had people yell at me that I am her. <laughs> like, you know, like you are. And it's They're like, arguing with you. <laughs> how do you, um, how do you guys know? And this is just, I guess, for my own. So I have it as knowledge Rolodex. If you kids know, even know what that is. How do you guys know when when did you meet Danko Jones and have you known him a long long time? Yeah, man, Danko opened up for us when he was a four piece up in oh, Canada yeah. 117 years ago, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh more than that. 120. More. He 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 no, he opened up back when he started Corey in the band. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, so he was by it's been like 24 years and uh and uh he wow. was uh and we had a, well, we have a, uh, we always had a strong uh, Canadian connection, and uh, that was their very first tour, uh, Danko Jones. So, you know, uh, and um, they were, and we were did really well in Canada, a lot, of, you know, because riders from there too. So, um, you know, it was really weird though. When I, they opened up for us originally, I didn't think much of them. We thought, well, this guy looks slick and everything. And then I think it was uh, two thousand or 2001 this summer when we were playing in Switzerland at a festival, I forget one of those big festivals and they played to a, maybe a little pit full of like 800 people. It was me and uh Ryder and Jellyby Offra. And we just sort of casually checked out. Oh, we know this guy and he was amazing. And he had morphed into this dank within like, it's like he'd been to the crossroads and back the whole thing. Like yeah. how it got really good, really fast and just found it. And I, we're, I mean, I had my mouth dropped the whole time because I mean, it was night and day difference from what he was 18 months earlier. I mean, it was, yeah, it was yeah. good. so, so good. Wow. And been mutual fans ever since he, yeah. uh, he did. And then he, and he stole our sound guy. He, he stole, we had a, the other Corey, boy Corey, right. our sound man for years. And he became Danko's sound man for another. 10 years or something yeah like yeah i met i've met Corey. so wow that's that's crazy i was um i should say i could probably speak for dave here if he'll let me we we were late bloomers to the danko train um i heard about him of course from someone you know over the pond uh someone from edinburgh uh you know was a broken teeth fan and and just uh basically sent me uh, some burn CDs of the darkness and Danko. And it's kind of a funny story. If you let me tell it, I was in my van leaving the PO box kind of thing. And I'm like, the darkness, what is this? And I put that in and get your hands off of my mom on your mom of you know, doing that shit. And I was like out the window, no tiny yeah. Tim heavy metal doesn't work. Tiny Tim heavy metal doesn't work out the window. Roll that. Nope. Side of the road gone. What is a Danko Jones was up next in the disc player in the old Chevy van. It never left. I think it was, uh, you know, I got a white Cadillac, you know, and I was like, what the fuck is happening right now? And I was sold. Uh, you know, it was burns of born a lion and all that old shit. And I was just yeah. completely shocked. My mouth was open for about three months and I was just like, what the fuck? And, and Dave can tell you, I turned that shit on to whoever would listen to Jason talk, whoever would give me a time, the time of day I go, you, you think you like rock and roll? You need to hear this shit. And this was at a time, I don't know. It was 
2000 God, it, it, it 2005 ish or something. And so yeah. I had some catching up to do. Um it, interesting enough is uh you know, meanwhile I'm on this Danko kick and turning all my, you know, bothering my friends with it. Uh, uh, you know, I, all of a sudden I was Danko's A and R guy, right? And and uh, I see that uh, Turbo Negro's coming through with Danko Jones in support, and I'm like, no way! And I was just a little kid, and it was like I was, uh, you know, eleven, and Kiss was coming to town. It was like that. And I got a posse together and we went down to Emo's, you know, the old Emo's down 6th Street. And, you know, because I, I, I'm going to get shot at, but Turbo Negro didn't tickle my hair. It just didn't do it. So I was there for Danko only. I was in the front, elbow to elbow with whoever wanted to fight me for center stage spot. No, no barricade. I sang as many songs as I knew the words to at the top of my fucking lungs and there was a guy next to me who knew every song way better than me and i'm like how do this is my band how who are you motherfucker how do you know uh, more more danko lyrics than i do anyway he was from out upstate north somewhere which made sense and he was going to college in austin and he, he was like he schooled me anyway danko walking around introduced all my friends to danko danko walking around i'm like holy moly and we just became friends at that point the rest is history oh, and now, when i found Sorry. out that he knew you guys i was just even i was just like it makes way too much sense right now <laughs> so, so what what show, what show at emos you're saying yeah, you saw me emos. Okay, we we were there at emos too. We were backstage. This was a South by Southwest. No, no. This one, no. this one, the one with no this, effects and David Cross and uh, uh, all that. No, yeah, this was, was uh, this was a, a a couple two years three years earlier than that. I was at that one too. Mm. Um, that was when they played inside. So this is with Turbo Negro on the outside stage. Oh, this was outside too. It oh, was, was uh, outside. Yeah, but it was still South by Southwest. Yeah, but it was not Turbo Negro. Now, okay. uh, this was uh, this was he was already kind of going and pretty good. Yeah, right. he uh, okay. And he does really well. I missed that really one. Well. Maybe maybe that was the first time that he came through, I'm and I, sure. I wasn't hip to him yet. I'm confused about uh, things because you know it's it's a big mesh of like years around there. Oh my god! Yeah. but but. Uh, uh, we went, we were in like, uh, Germany and recently at a gas station at, uh, and there was a <laughs> Danko had a new album out and we recently, maybe like seven or years ago, but there Danko had a new album out and there was a cutout in a gas station of Danko, man. Like where they sold what? the CD and yes, yeah, a cutout, like, I was like, man, it's Danko. It's, it was so cool. And Sweden is huge. So I got, oh, yeah. I got some oh, yeah. people, I got some people, I got some really, really close Swedish friends, younger people that I know. And they're like, oh, we love Danko. And I got them on the guest list. Like, oh my God, I can't believe it. So, you know, yes, nice. I'm, I'm all, we're all for him, man. You know, he's, uh, it's usually easy. To, it's usually easy to get jealous of someone, but uh, he can have all the success he wants. And I feel great about it, man. Seriously. He's, he, yeah. uh, he song with us. He did a, a song called I'm so high. Yeah. I got to look down. Guy, he did. We were recorded, yeah, at Dripping Springs. Yeah, um, he did. He did a duet. He makes it. And he kicks ass at it, and he didn't ask for a dime. 
and we didn't give him a dime. Right. <laughs> like, I hope you don't ask for any money. We don't know But he was, he's so, he didn't, no, it's great. He just I did have it. This, I have the yeah. same story. He sings on two songs on uh, Broken Teeth, Viva La Rock Fantastico. Oh, oh, really? That's our favorite record. Which one do you sing on? Yeah, he sings on the title track. He has his own verse. Oh. That second verse about uh, Truth is the King, that's Danko singing. Oh, wow. He gave him a verse by himself, and then he's mirroring me on, uh, like, singing right every word right along with me with, uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, Big Spender. Big Spender. Thank you, Dave. I don't even know my own songs. <laughs> yeah, he's singing right along with me on Big Spender. And, oh, wow. Uh, didn't give him a dime. Glad to do it. We made a video for Viva La Rock Fantastico when years later he came back, played another South By where we had gotten him on a gig on a festival thing. And we played back to back and he came on stage and sang, and sang the song with us. And we made a video of us like running around the parking lot with it. It's on YouTube. Anyway, it's, it's so, so gracious and I've been you know, saying quite, uh, this show is this show is not long enough at all because Blaine and Danko have this brilliant idea to do a brand new odd couple. They're going to do a new odd couple. And this is about I think it was about two or three years ago. Yeah, it was, right before, uh, it's 2000, <laughs> sorry, it was about 2000. Uh, yeah, it was like three years ago. One of the last tours we did. And he's uh, it's before COVID and stuff. He's a germaphobe. And we're, I mean, I'm a total slob. And someone said, you guys should be like the odd couple. And we like, he's the kind of guy like, uh, it's like a, a, whatever tweets politics all the time. And I'm a total <laughs> shit. And, and I, yeah, I had, I mean, we had this brilliant idea of like, you know, I was like, I, I would be like, take place in Toronto and I'd be an illegal alien that moved to Canada because Trump lost and I'm fled the United States. I'm not going back to where he wins. I'm staying at his place and we hate, you know, we disagree on politics and everything and great idea. You know, that's just oh, that my, is my new favorite show. Yeah, exactly. Take it, run it, man. <laughs> I know, have, have Jack Black play me instead and Danko can play Danko. And I, I don't know. But we will, wow. I mean, when it's down to it though, I mean, Neither one of us wanted to stop playing rock and roll, though, long enough to do anything else. We talk about doing other stuff, but it's like, you know, I mean, I know he's a podcast, but that, that's in between rocking and it's about rocking. So, yeah, no, I love it. Wow. See, now that on paper, as opposed to the Peacemaker thing, that on paper sounds great. <laughs> I know. We call, we have a couple of friends. I mean, you know, we have a couple of friends that do, do shows and stuff. And I think we made one call. I mean, we, we quit pretty easy. I mean, when I other stuff, we, you know, we kind of gave up pretty fast <laughs> as opposed to rock and roll where everyone probably told us to stop. And we go, no, we're going to make it. We're going to make it now. So, I don't know. We could clone ourselves and we could clone ourselves. We could starting to clone a Blank Wright and clone a Danko Jones. And we, they would have their own TV show and we could, National Pussy and Danko Jones could go out and play like we want to. Yeah. I love it. I love yeah. it. This sounds like well, a, there's a, sounds there's, there's a lot of love in the room for Mr. Danko Jones. That is for sure. And yeah. His, his band and the successes and just, I I've been saying for years and years and years, and I say it out loud and I write it down any place I that'll, that I'm writing anything about Danko. I say he saved rock and roll for me. I heard Danko Jones. I heard his earlier stuff. Thank God. Um, cause I, I got to hear, you know, born a lion and all that shit before I heard sleep is the enemy and all that. So it, it was, I heard it in the right way. Um, 
I say he's he's been saving rock and roll since day one. Since for me, he's been saving rock and roll. I mean, that's kind of the attitude and the style in the way of Thin Lizzy and Kiss and UFO, because he that's his that's where he's kind of come from. Also, all with all his knowledge of punk rock and rap and garage rock, he loves the butthole surfers, that kind of shit. He's just coming from the right place. And He's so fucking intelligent. Like you said, he's tweeting about politics and shit. He loses me sometimes on that, but trying to keep up. Yeah. <laughs> really, yeah, he's really a savior. We're just a savior, man. You know, I heard it at a time when I thought there was nothing out there or new or anything. Like years had gone by. I hadn't heard shit. Then I'm going, wow, that's pretty cool. That hadn't, I was dead inside. So I was writing my Aww. own music. Living in a bubble. Well, I know. Well, you know, I I listened to. I, just, I, I was ne- well. Sorry, not dead inside. Just living in a bubble. Nothing <laughs> new was happening that was worth a shit to me at all. Whether Danko's new or not, I'm just waiting for a new Danko Jones record every couple of years. And if I don't get that, I don't know what I'm going to do. So <laughs> we did the. We were cramming Viva La Rock Fantastico down a bunch of people's. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you guys are the best, and 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 Danko as well. Dank, you guys and Danko, and it, it it was, it's awesome to just hear that because you know we're okay. We like to rock. You know that's it. Yeah. We're not trying to be Rush or you know yeah. Led Zeppelin or something. We just want to like tear shit up and would do yeah, it we rock and roll. Have like in our arsenal, you'll have like. The, that year's party saver, like where you go to a party and it's like, this is kind of lame. And then you slip in a little broken teeth and all of a sudden everything gets better. <laughs> Whether Judah, nice, you guys know Judah from, from, uh, from Italy? Uh, yeah, I guess no, not. I don't think so. Okay, yeah. We'll send you that later. <laughs> That's cool. another part. Another party start. Nice. Party saver. Uh, yeah. uh, the Judah is spelled G, G is G U I D A. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Like we, uh, and, um, the very first album called Racy Roller is, uh, is, uh, is a perfect getting Dan yeah. is way it sounds it's very glam rock. Okay. And they look on the cover is like, they dressing like, uh, they're Italian. They're driving like, they're like in, in the state of, in the seventies in Italy, they had these cop exploitation movies, basically like they were cops. So uh, that's what they dress like, not like uniforms. It's, uh, it's weird. You wouldn't know that except they're, yeah, we have, we know Italians really well, so we, they tell us this like, oh wow, yeah, it's great, it's really good, Judah. Well, awesome, yeah. look, look for that. Awesome. I wanted to. There's a there's also a lot of room, a lot of love in this room for Frank Meyer and Eddie Spaghetti, who we had yeah. on the show recently. Uh, they've got a new album out, as you know, uh, motherfucking rock and roll, and they cover my Sharona and Ryder. You're in the video for that. Uh, you didn't play on the album, if I'm not mistaken, but you did the video. So, yeah. so tell me I, how that all came about. This is my this is my acting debut. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're a musician and you talk about being in a video where you're not playing, you call it faking. <laughs> but right. if you're not a musician, you call it acting. So I'm acting. So it was actually it was so recent that I did my nails for the shoot. And they're still good. Still good. Wow. <laughs> still drying. So I was, yeah. Because I wasn't going to be, you know, I wasn't playing guitar. I just got to fake it. So, you know, I thought, fuck it. I'm going to get my nails did. You know, that's, I mean, they just, they called me out of a, 
I mean, I don't know if I was the first or the 10th person they called, but I said, you know, I agreed. <laughs> it just sounded like a, a good idea. You know, you want to come out and pretend? And I was like, fuck yeah, man, I ain't doing shit. And like, you know, play along with, you know, this is a killer solo on a song that you already know so fucking well and you never thought about playing on before. Like, hell yeah, it was just, I mean, it was great fun. I've also never worn a tie before. So that was exciting. And, you know, <laughs> love, love Frank, love Eddie. Like the whole thing was just fun and easy and Frank edited the whole thing. He knew exactly what he wanted. So it was just, it was efficient and we had a blast. And plus, I mean, like at that time, no one would playing, you know, everybody was kind of off. So it felt like we were a band for a second again. And you start telling, you know, dirty jokes and feel yeah. normal for a moment. It was, <laughs> was the, was the tie a clip on or did someone show you how to tie it? I tie my tie, my tie, 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 tie. <laughs> Nice. We should talk about this too, because all of you have this in common and it is the heirs of the yes. dog record. Uh, our buddy, uh, Jeff Smith out of San Antonio put this on his, uh, sauce Tex record. And we've talked about it on the podcast before, uh, for those who aren't aware, it's basically, um, a recreation of the classic Nazareth album, hair of the dog done by various musicians including everyone in this call except me. <laughs> uh, so Blaine's on it, Jason's on it, yeah. Ryder's on it. I think I got mine nearby too. Shall I get mine too? So we all show our purple Twinkies. vinyl. Yeah. Oh, no, I, wow, the vinyl looks great. Look at that. Yeah. Look at that. But I, I got to say, Ryder, the, your vocal on Miss Misery is outstanding. And I wanted, I wanted to say that I thought I heard somewhere that you were – uh, a little bit nervous about tackling that song. Obviously, Dan McCafferty is like one of the most iconic voices in rock and roll. So, of course, you're going to be a little intimidated. But uh, I thought you nailed it. So tell us about how many takes did it require? And you know, oh, it's a lot of fucking takes. Yeah. That was like the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire fucking life. That was fucking ridiculous. And I have my sweet husband and partner Blaine to thank for that one because he was in the control booth saying, "You can do better." <laughs> <laughs> that was fucking hard, man. We even did it. I think we did it two days two days running. We also we tried doing it at a lower lower vocal range. We tried slowing down the pitch to see if I could get it better because that's man that's some hard shit to scream. But I sang my bloody guts out on that thing, and I think I think I really really captured the misery of Miss yeah. Misery. I think I think your voice sounds amazing on it. It's 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 incredible because Dan, uh, you know, everybody in this room is aware is one of the best singers that ever did rock and roll. And oh. for you to and so and it's really interesting too, not to you know get into the gender thing, but a woman doing his voice seems like it might even be even add that much more of a challenge to it. I don't know. Was there any was there any of that? This is the second. This is the second one where I've done. I mean, for Sostex for for uh, Joey Killingsworth, like the mm -hmm. charity album, where the first one I had to say, I sang, uh, uh, what was it, Strong Enough, which is originally sang by Jim Dandy. And I mean, like, how the hell do you sing anything like Jim Dandy? Jim Dandy is just like, he is so unique. It is 100% impossible to emulate that guy in any which way whatsoever. And that was impossible task. And then I'd try, oh yeah, now I really want to sing Miss Misery, which is yet another impossible task. But I would have been, I just told him that I would sing anything, like anything off that album. Cause I like now, I like that album from the beginning to the end, except for Love Hurts. And then 
but every, all the rock songs, yes, you know, I'm down for it. So whatever you got, I'll take the dregs, you know. And then ironically, I heard Eddie Spaghetti's version of Love Hurts. And I swore I'd never, ever listen to that fucking song ever again in my entire life. And then I heard Eddie's version and I was like, please, can I sing on that one too? <laughs> and they let me. And that, that was easy. That was the opposite of Miss Misery. That was just, that was. Yeah. Yeah, well, I I think your Miss Misery is great, and uh, and uh, Blaine I think did a killer job on Hair of the Dog, and Jason of course did a great job. Also, all three of you did a great job on an on an album that's a pretty tall order to do justice, and I think you yeah. all did a great job. I was off the uh, unfortunately I was off the road. Uh, had to do you know the title track, which is a pressure, and then uh, I was we were off the road. So when we recorded that, so it was like I was out of practice. I did pretty, did pretty good. I, you know, I think you could have done better, but I mean, I could kind of sound like that Nazareth guy anyway when when when, when I'm when I'm on, you know. So yeah. it that's okay. some scream, yeah, some screaming, you know. Yeah, we did. We, that was right in the middle of the pandemic, where you know yeah. nobody was even like looking at each other. You know, and like yeah. we're like like okay we can go to the studio and like are you sanitizing the studios are you sanitizing the mic who's been in there the day before and like you know we drove across town and like we're the only ones there and this engineer that we know already and you know pretty soon it's two in the afternoon and we're doing shots of whiskey and it feels like normal and it was like just a glorious moment for both of us like we were just like oh god this is why we do this like you know sunshine Sitting around drinking whiskey, getting ready. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Rock and roll. Yeah, now that's a job right there. That's good work if you can find it. Yeah. <laughs> and again, like the, my, my Sharona video, I think we got paid in, in like a single taco. So. <laughs> <laughs> Rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. Not much different, right? <laughs> Same shit. <laughs> um. I wanted to ask you guys silly question. Uh, what are the top three things on your rider when you tour? What are the three things you gotta have backstage waiting for you? Coffee, coffee, and and not any coffee. I need fucking good coffee. And if you don't have good coffee, I want directions to good coffee. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's one good coffee. Uh, I never, I rarely get it, but I, I like to just have some peanut butter because uh, that saves you know saves time and uh one th one thing is popular amongst our crew but our crew is usually a bunch of hillbillies is that we have baloney backstage and i mean that, that means that like especially if we're on a bigger tour to open for someone and we get limited they have limited time they go get food they don't have to baloney is a meal where we're from <laughs> so, uh, we like that because uh they mean like oh my god thank you so much for getting baloney i mean this is something you get at the truck stop we stopped at 10 20 minutes earlier for two dollars but it's backstage is right there uh, peanut butter and bologna, you know, <laughs> sorry. I wish sorry about something more exotic. <laughs> <laughs> Man, remind me not to go to Blaine's house for Thanksgiving. That's uh, yeah, we, no, Thanksgiving, we, we'll do it up Thanksgiving. If it's, that's but, uh, backstage, redneck, that's redneck sushi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gross, man. My, my oh, big yeah. contribution besides coffee, I don't, I put the word not in front of the word American cheese. Like, like I refuse to eat American cheese. So like, yeah. There you go. Yeah, uh, not, you, you don't even put like a pair of socks on your rider? No. No socks? Put, so put socks and batteries and like dumb yeah. shit as 
bartering technique because they're, you know, like, we don't want to get you the bologna. And it's like, we're not getting you the socks. It's like, okay, well, we don't need the socks, but can we get the bologna? Like, okay. Right. So you have to throw on extra things that you don't really, really need. So they'll. Well, that's the brown M&M trick. Yeah. 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 Well, in Europe, in Europe, especially in France, where we're quite popular, they'll have, because they're French too, have a nice big backstage and like, they'll just, it'll be wall to wall with food. We can't even sit down. It's like, and it's like enough to feed people for, I mean, we could live on it for a week, you know, we can't even put it all in the van for one gig. And then we come to sometimes these American punk rock gigs. We're lucky to have, lucky to get the bologna, man. So, yeah. I mean, they don't even have that. Or coffee or anything, you know. So yeah, they'll do it. They always have Jack Daniels for us. Uh, that's that's about it, you know, around here. But you know, and in, uh, in, in Europe they have all kinds of great stuff. And yeah, so we have like every tons of candies and uh, you know a lot, a lot of fancy breads and all that stuff. So that's that. That's always fun. Well, for you, for you guys, the the Jack for you guys, the Jack is not not a prop. So no. Yeah, that's why I was surprised to hear it's is it is it that far down the list or do your fans just no. bring it to you? Uh man, um it's just always Jack Daniels is behind baloney. I'm really curious. It's was always there, so I didn't even think about requesting it. I was like, whoa, where did it just magically appears? Uh you know, I honestly two shots from from my voice is about uh what I have to do anyway. Yeah. And since it's kind of hard to stop and you're on stage and things are going good and you've got a bottle in your hand sometimes you take a sip or two you know and it, you know especially if a short set you go well i can make this really lively and then you know be drunk later on <laughs> just, they pull us off stage and we're still drinking and it was like oh now what what did we do and in the past it's been like you know we you know sit in this room and drink you know hopefully we can uh i don't think we i don't think we can do that anymore but we'll be we we'll have a couple shots on stage for sure, but uh, <laughs> um, I don't think a lot of people know. But Blaine and I didn't drink for like the first decade, I think, of us being a band. He, him and I were—he was like the Coca-Cola kid, and you know, coffee and water and milk. Like we didn't start drinking until I think Karen joined the band. Hey, we in the Bell Rays, Karen yeah. and the Bell Rays, Lisa from the Bell Rays, uh, kind of yeah. turned us off. Is they had about Jack Daniels every night, and. Oh. She for a voice, oh, man. Yeah, she used it for her voice, and then like uh, I don't think we had it. I mean, I think we were drinking theirs, and then it was like, well, you guys should get your own. <laughs> and then next thing you know, I was like, hey, we got a bottle of Jack Daniels every night on stage from then on. You know, seriously. Uh, so <laughs> we don't drink it at home though. I mean, we'll have we'll come back with something. It'll still sit in the cabinet because I think it's a crazy thing to drink in your house by yourself <laughs> well uh, yeah <laughs> yeah that's also, that's also part of our, our longevity probably is that we didn't you know we didn't start off drinking and like other people were drinking around us and like you know blaine smoking weed and like whatever like we were kind of you know i mean i hate to draw the comparison but we were like he was like paul stanley and i was like gene simmons like we were you know we were in charge of the show like we we're making sure the shit continued and yeah. so and I had there was somebody had to be sober enough to count the fucking money at the end of the day, and that yeah. was me. And like you know, I, we never really we never really got into we never discovered the joy of alcohol until like we'd already we whatever we'd already been nominated for a Grammy. Like we were way down the line. Was, wow, that's very interesting to me yeah. actually because uh, well, 
well, I, one quick little story how how this happened. I used to drive, and I used to get high, drink coffee, and drive. I didn't want to drink. And one night, this is like when Karen first joined. I think we had a band called Priestess opening up. We played Kyber Pass, and I decided to get drunk with the opening band. I never do it. It was like, hey, they were trying to get shots, and like from Canada, we're like, yeah. And uh, something happened. I don't know if you were know where Kyber Pass is. It's like this crappy little, crazy little street in Philadelphia. And our trailer came unhitched from the back of the van, one of the vans, and rolled down the street. And uh, what happened was the the roadies and stuff came to like, well, Blaine will fix it. And Blaine was drunk. And they were like, oh, well, we'll have to do this ourselves. And I was like, wow, is that easy? Well, I'm going to get drunk every night and let them take care of all this crap because if I'm, you know, I mean, that's all it's going to take. It's like, well, don't go get Blaine to do the extra work because he's wasted. So I just always like way to enjoy myself. And plus, I just I looked around and go, man, this is basically your life. You know, have a drink. I and mean, why you're kind of a rock star here. You're playing. You know, what do, what's your problem? <laughs> enjoy yourself. And that's uh, 17 years later, <laughs> I think we're talking about like, okay, maybe calm down, but yeah, it started, it started the party basically that, that little incident. I remember it forever. It's impressive. Yeah, I like the defensive, the defensive move of drinking. If we're drunk, somebody else will finally do the fucking work. And it's wow. like, hey. <laughs> unless you're a control freak. No, <laughs> no, that's good. That's no, good. Man, no, man. I would the, just, uh, the, I don't have to yeah. The fact that you guys um, have, you know, survived it and been able to to just stay Nashville pussy without drinking yourself into, you know, the darker door and have problems that cause your band to fizzle have not. It, you see what I'm saying? It's kind of been it's yeah. kind of been on your side. You know, when we're not uh, when we're not on the road, we are not drinkers. Yeah, like, wow, it's just interesting to me because you guys are not as so. Wait, you're saying that you're not just fucked up all the time? Surprise, surprise! Yeah, yeah sorry to blow it. Yeah, this is what I, I'm Gene. I'm this is what I look up without makeup. You know? Yeah, it's, no, just, I, it's weird, and especially during this pandemic, is like it's been like I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Drinking is, seems like it's laborious at this point, but. You know, I don't even know what we don't know what we're going to do when we get back out on the road. I'm sure it will creep back into it. But we're both lucky enough that it's never been an issue in that, you know, we it's not like we have to say, oh, God, I have to quit drinking. You know, it's never been a problem. It's, wow, it's just that's that's natural. a positive. That I yeah. If I didn't have respect already. More respect that you know that <laughs> you, you guys us because we drink on the road <laughs> because, you, because you have uh you well you've just kind of figured it out you know just figured well it out. I think I had, I had a couple of times yeah I had a couple of times where like I have figured out I don't have a drinking problem but my drinking caused problems a couple of times I think but it's still at the early stages where it's laughable like hey you're acting like James Brown last night and you fell down a flight of stairs <laughs> and it's funny. And instead of like, oh my God, oh, it's gotten to this. I was like, I, I was like, oh, okay, it's glad that's still funny. I don't remember it. <laughs> I can't remember it at all. It was in Europe somewhere. And yeah, yeah. Video. Oh, yeah. really? <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. uh, 
it's been great having you guys on yes. um you know Absolutely. if we yeah. speaking of which speaking of drinking i'm so sorry that i didn't do this a long time ago when i was so fucking hung over that i couldn't now, so. you, you you said you'd make good okay. on it and here you are you made good on it so it's all it's all fine and I, the tech and the technical difficulties mean means we might have to do it again for the first half because I may have lost that footage, unfortunately. <laughs> so I hope that's okay. Yeah. Brad, just just not when we're hungover, man. No, no, no. Of course not. Of course. Yeah, the not. window of opportunity is very small with these guys. So, no. But seriously, uh, Ryder, thank you for making good on your promise, and thanks for bringing Blaine along. Uh, we yeah. appreciate having him in the room as well. And uh, congratulations on your new album. Congratulations on Peacemaker. And uh, hopefully we'll see you on the road in Texas. Oh, you know what? We didn't, we didn't uh, plug. We've got another album that's just come out. Besides the oh. Nightdown Hammer album, when the shit yeah. goes down, that just came out on vinyl. We don't even have a copy yet. But that came out in October, November. And then in about, within the month, there's a, an album called Miss Georgia Peach which is a project that Blaine and I were involved in probably a decade ago. And we did it, wow. you know, downtime and it's country and it's probably one of the most accessible things we've ever done. Wow. Which, you know, my mom loves it and lots wow. of people's moms like it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. So tell me the name of the album. I, I, I didn't hear Blaine you. Miss Georgia Peach. Now, the one Peach, uh, it's Aloha from Kentucky. Uh, it was a project we did in 2008. Ryder sings a couple songs on duet. I sing a couple songs on duet. And uh, Ryder plays guitar. Ryder plays mandolin. Ryder plays uh, keyboards. And uh, yeah. And there's also, Ryder, you have a hammer record back there or not? Also, Motherbed, Not Found Hammer, is this recorded a masterpiece with Daniel Ray uh, called wow. When the Sh Down. Uh, we did that during the pandemic a year ago in Kentucky. And um, it's, it's great. It's on Acetate Records um, uh, from Mountain California. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there it yeah. is. Yeah, it's got Mountain Rushmore there with Bill Monroe, Abraham Lincoln, uh, uh, Daniel Boone, and uh, oh, Colonel, and Colonel Sanders. Sanders. Colonel Sanders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, oh, Kentucky God. Mountain Rushmore. Yeah, it's called When the Shit Goes Down. It's really, 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 really good too. Yeah, like a bunch of good stuff right now. Yeah, good deal. And people can find all this on your website or yeah, yeah, Facebook pages or whatever. I love it that you guys are keeping your tongue in cheek and your your humor, and you're able to make fun of yourselves as as well as the world, and write songs about it that are usually below the belt buckle and. <laughs> and, uh, you got your horns high the whole the whole time and uh and you got your marshals dialed and uh it's Hell fantastic yeah. what yeah. would the world be without the, nashville pussy you know it, lame it's the bane of my mother's existence we during the pandemic we put out a you know like a couch performance of us playing hooray for cocaine and my mom's like my favorite song like why do you have to sing about cocaine <laughs> It's like we just all we can't help ourselves. It's like once you get in the studio and like somebody makes a joke, it's like oh, you got to put that in the song. Like right. we want to make each other laugh, and that's yeah. You no, know. oh, that's great. No, it's it's healthy too. You know, you guys. You know, it's 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 just uh, music is healing, and to have it just be reflective of things that either just happened or they're a memory, whether it's 
glad or sad or mad or bad. You know, you just have to do it. Uh, I love it that you guys are prolific as hell and uh, just keep it up. And thanks for being here today. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you both. I appreciate (laughs) it. On behalf of my co-host, Jason McMaster, I'm Metal Dave, along with our special guest, Ryder Size and Blaine Cartwright from Nashville Pussy, joining us on this episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Thank you all.